On today's episode, our all-gay panel reviews Brokeback Mountain and discusses internalized homophobia, which is a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to the You Better Represent podcast, exploring representation in cinema. Each week, we review a minority-led film with members of that underrepresented community and debate a cultural topic plucked from the movie's themes. Joining me for today's show is super talented gay comedian, writer, actor, and filmmaker, Robert Watson. Hey there, cowboy. How you doing, Vong? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, well, it's good. I mean, we're talking about a we're talking about a not so laughing, laughy, happy movie today. So I'm glad you're in a good mood. <laughs> oh my god, this broke back mountain. We're we're just gonna have to jump right in. Well, actually, I guess I still have to do the synopsis because I've just got so many thoughts. But um, so okay, broke back mountain. <laughs> historically so important i think it just got um it got inducted into something for being i don't know it's, honestly i'm so messed up from watching the movie i was kind of the last half hour like, audience members you know me i'm usually way more prepared i have my notes and stuff i just can't i can't even see through the tears right now this movie has got me shook but okay, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> the synopsis is uh, this movie is about two shepherds who develop a sexual and emotional relationship. Their relationship becomes complicated when both of them get married to their respective girlfriends. And that's straight out of IMDb, so don't get mad at me if you don't like <laughs> yeah. the, the synopsis. I probably would have worded it differently, but that is okay. I was probably really just to people. <laughs> um, it is based on a short story by Anne Pruel. It mm. stars Heath Ledger as Ennis, Jake Gyllenhaal as Jack, Michelle Williams in as Alma, and Anne Hathaway as Lucene. It was directed, of course, by Ang Lee, uh, from a screenplay by David David McMurtry and Diana Osana. It is available for rent on many platforms, um, iTunes, YouTube, Amazon, I think. But it is not available, from what I understand, for um, free streaming on any of the services. You do have mm. to rent it. Now, Robert, oh my goodness, okay, jumping, in, jumping into this movie, um, <laughs> how well do you think Brokeback Mountain represents the gay experience? Or how how well does it resonate with you as a gay man? Sure, I mean, as you know, in in the context of this movie took place, uh, the story itself took place over twenty years from nineteen sixty three to about nineteen eighty three. Uh, so you you do have to uh, have that context, I think, to really understand uh, and and know whether this movie does represent or not. Uh, I think it was, and, and it's interesting. This this movie is probably one of the most maligned and made fun of movies by homophobes and also made fun a lot of by gay people right like uh you know it's it's the movie that launched a thousand pornos right uh because people were making fun of broke back i mean did Anne pull like did don't you think the writer do you think she like thought just like for like one moment that it's like 
you know, we're going to call that mountain Brokeback Mountain, and no one's going to, you know, make <laughs> jokes or anything about it. It's like, mm, yeah, we are. We're going to. Um, you know, and in a way, it's a shame, because on this rewatching, I just really realized how this is just such a tragic and strangely beautiful story. Uh-huh. And and it does ring true uh, as as someone who has seen others and myself uh, experience some internal homophobia and how that can hold me back from living my best life. I felt that this really represented to like, to like a millionth degree, how internalized homophobia and, and how that affects a person. And of course all internal homophobia is caused by external homophobia. Let's get that right first. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing them deal with them, just how, how, how tragic it was that, you know, they couldn't find happiness, even, you know, beyond the relationship aspect and the love story aspect. I'm just like, oh, these are two men and, and then the, as, and then the women around them who just had miserable lives. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know, for me, it was a very different experience watching this from when I first watched it, because, mm. you know, it's it's been a long time. Um, I just, it was 2005, so it's what, 16 years ago? Yeah. I was living in Alberta, um, where there are a lot of gay cowboys. <laughs> like, we have our, like, annual gay rodeo. Yeah. There's, like, a lot of gay cowboy events. Um and back then, I was just too young. I hadn't been in a lot of relationships. This movie, honestly, it didn't hit me the same way. Like, back then, yeah. I was just more watching it as sort of like, you know, almost like mainstream gay porn. I was like, this is awesome. They have <laughs> two hot straight guys, multiple sex scenes. You know, I was like all into it. And it did not hit me the way it hit me now. Oh, my God. I honestly did not know what was going to happen. From their last scene together, when um, Jake Gyllenhaal says that famous line, I wish I knew how to quit you. And, you know, that actually wasn't the part that got me. It's when Heath Ledger then said, you know, like, you know, I don't know what to do. You, You made me this way. Like, I can't, like, I'm nothing. This is all I have. It's like, oh, my God. I was... Oh my god! Ah. Like from the, from that moment, I'm just like I was a total mess. My cat staring at me like, "What is going on?" And there's still like a goddamn half hour movie left, <laughs> and it doesn't get like, better. <laughs> no, no, like he, he hadn't even died yet at that point. I was like, I was already, I was like November, November, so long, and then I was like, oh, you know what? November wasn't so bad after all. If he could have made it there, I was like. Oh, and then the tire iron. It was just, and then the thing with his parents. Honestly, I just can't even. Like you are having Robert a time. I'm so I sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm like a little bit vulnerable because, you know, it's Pride Month. There's been like actual real life rise in like violent attacks yeah. on gay people in and around Toronto. It's like you know, there's just. 
so much going on in the world. Plus, I just got my second COVID vaccine. I think I still have symptoms. I don't know what's going on in my brain. I'm crying. I'm snorting. I'm coughing. I'm just a mess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this movie. This movie completely got me shook. Um, oh, I will say because we were talking about representation, I should bring up. Um, so when it's a gay movie, it's a little bit more difficult than when it's about visible minorities where you figure out yeah. if there's actual representation in the writers <laughs> and the directors. Yeah. Yes. So you know what? Everybody, if I'm wrong about some of these people, let me know. But from what I understand, you know, Ang- I, I didn't see any queer representation um, in any of the lead actors. No. Um I looked up Anne Poole, who wrote the short story. She married a couple times to men. Um, Larry McMurdy and Diana Osana. I also couldn't find the the two people who did the screenplay. I couldn't find anything on Mm -hmm. them. And I think they were also the producers as well. So as far as actual, you know, queer voices in the writing room or in the producer's room, I don't think there that existed from what I can tell, you know, but um, I don't know. Usually I would be more troubled by it, but they really took care of these characters. They, they did. It felt like they were real. Like, obviously like I'm, I'm mourning the death of a character that died 15 years ago. No kidding. And it's just like, they really made it. They really made it. I don't know. Robert. No, well, well, let's, let's talk about the representation um, side and (laughs) the fact, I mean, you're very right. There aren't, uh, any identifiable queer people when you look at the creators, you look at the people involved. But this movie could not have been made without the uh, the fame and the industry heft uh, that Ang Lee has. He made that movie happen. Uh, the script had existed for quite a while uh, as developed from the story from Anne Proulx and... They, there wasn't a buyer for it. People thought it was a beautiful story, a beautiful script, but no one would touch it. And then Ang Lee said, give this to me. I want to tell this story. And uh, interestingly, I was reading an article. Lee Daniel, uh, who is uh, probably best known for uh, for Precious, uh, he had a pass at the script and had to turn it down. And he was uh, concerned that someone that wasn't gay was going to be telling this story. And he actually avoided watching it for, for many years. And he watched it and he said, Ang Lee told a beautiful story, a mainstream story that could sell to straight people as a tragedy, which it was to gay people as well. But for us more, it was about, wow, we're being represented on the big screen and people are coming to watch it. And it's being nominated for all these awards. And it's being talked about. And even the fact that it was robbed of its best picture Oscar to crash when it was so destined to win. Everyone's like, that's an act of homophobia right there. The fact that the Academy took this safe uh, route to give crash the best picture that snub in itself made the movie more talked about. And so all of the things that have happened that have made this movie so iconic, they needed to be done by these people. And so while there isn't the queer representation, it has paved the way for queer artists, in my opinion. So it gets a, you know, it gets a thumbs up uh, in that respect from me because it did things that queer people probably didn't have the tools to be able to make and do. So thank you. Ang Lee is what I have to say about that. 
and Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal who treated yeah. the characters which, with such respect. Yeah, honestly, their chemistry, they made me believe. Yeah. <laughs> they made me believe. Like, you know, you never would know that. I, I generally do have a thing against, like, Australian actors doing, like, American accents. There is something, like, like with Nicole Kidman, I usually don't like her movies. Cause yeah, there you're is right about something, her. like, unnatural. <laughs> There's a lot unnatural about, about Nicole Kidman. Um, where it just feels... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, like, you couldn't tell, like, his accent. He totally got rid of the Australian accent. He did the yeah. cowboy accent thing. He was totally believable. I, I believe the chemistry. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal was, like, the perfect person, you know, outside of, like, getting an actual gay person, I think. Jake Gyllenhaal was the perfect person to cast because he has, like, this sort of, like, he has – it's it's interesting because like in still photos he's got like this butch like masculine thing going yeah. on like I, I know he's played like boxers and different things but when you actually see him in a movie he actually comes off more as like this like insecure geek yeah. kind of thing and it's like this really weird tender mix that like in still frames he's just so butch but when he embodies a character. He really brings a sensitivity. And I just, I just really believed it. Like it was like, he was like just bubbling beneath the surface of like all of these feelings and emotions. And then that final scene with them on the friggin' Oh my God. When he's like holding him and Heath Ledger is like oh crying and he's just like, no, don't touch me. And he's like, no, I'm not letting go. And it was, Oh my god, I just couldn't know. Like it was so believable. They took so much great care. I will give a special shout out to Michelle Williams because I do remember when the movie came out, she got a lot of buzz. Yeah. People loved her performance, but back then, honestly, I, I still had an image of her from Dawson's oh, Creek. Yeah. I love that show so much, and so. I didn't really give her like as much credit as I should have because I just you know. When I was in university, Dawson's Creek was like the shit. Like it was, it sure was. the biggest thing ever. So I, I just couldn't like, I couldn't like flip my brain and like give her a blank slate. But she was just brilliant, just brilliant. Um, the way she played the scene when she like found them kissing and stuff, and you know, it just oh, it was heartbreaking. I just remember thinking, um, looking, it's like, why did you choose? Yeah. You know, she could come to that door at any minute and see you guys. What? You, what are you doing kissing there? But I mean, it's like, of course, well, then the story doesn't move along. But that's how good it is, where you're like, where you're feeling like you want to yell at the screen. And that's obviously, you know, it means it's affecting you. I mean, but speaking of the actresses, Anne Hathaway, this was her first serious role, too. Because remember, she was the Princess Diaries girl. And I remember it being a big deal. It's like, oh, you see Anne Hathaway's boobs in this. There was a lot of boobs in this for being a gay cowboy movie, by the way. But, I mean, it's, it's fine. I, you know, I guess that was to keep the straight people watching. I don't know. I just, uh, but anyways, either way, they did great jobs on the acting roles. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I kind of like your opinion on, like, their early, at least their first couple of, like, sex scenes. Um, you know, looking back, mm -hmm. it's a different time. You know, there's a lot more talk about consent mm -hmm. and how things are represented on screen. Um, I don't know. I, I was I was watching it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if they could do a scene like this where it's almost like is like, you know, clearly there's no verbal consent going on. Um, but it's like um, I don't, 
I, I don't know. Could this scene be made today? But then I also think like in the gay world, a lot of I, I shouldn't say a lot of first experiences, but I wouldn't say that that's an uncommon first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't know. Is it is it more important to represent what's actually happening in real life? Or do people have to really think about what kind of message that just does this send about, you know, if somebody's resisting, but you're like, oh, you know, if I push a bit more, you might be like gayer. <laughs> Um, like, uh, what, what, what do you think about the, uh, the early, uh, very rough yeah, sex scenes? They're, they're a cinematic device as well, because when you, when you watch this, you can see that the, because it's not a romantic sex scene, because it's, it's fucking, you know, excuse my language. Um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you can, you see that there's, there's a lot going on in their minds as well, because, Especially when you watch Heath Ledger in this, these particular scenes, you can see that there's a, an amount of, of self-loathing still, even in these sex scenes. But the desire has uh, exceeded their shame in their attraction. And I thought they depicted that well because you sort of saw all of that in those scenes. You know, and I like the fact that it wasn't clean because, yeah, remember, this is 1963. This is, you're like, okay, this is how it gets done. Uh, so... I was thinking, yeah, this is, you know, sex isn't always the romanticized or, you know, whether you're seeing porn or a romanticized uh, movie, sex isn't, isn't, it's depictions of sex that are not necessarily uh, realistic. So I appreciated that they did that without being too gratuitous, in my opinion, either. I thought that was like, hey, straight people that are watching this movie, this is how it's done, or was in 1963. So... <laughs> get used to it yeah no I, I i did like how raw it was and i don't think it was gratuitous um you know definitely for the time i didn't i i didn't think it was maybe, maybe yeah. like straight people would disagree but i i felt like you know it does have to have a bit of that shock value because like straight people aren't really going to understand um and you know they did follow it up with like a much nicer. Yeah, there was like, some tenderness. <laughs> um, where it was like a little. I mean, bit more for me, it was the scenes when they're like holding each other and they're like Heath Ledger smoking a cigarette and they're just lying in bed talking. And you know those those scenes felt so real. Like, yeah, I see that happening. That happens between two lovers. And so those ones are where that's okay. That's where we get to see the love. You, we don't need to see it in the you know because the. Mm. The two exist side by side, but they don't always exist simultaneously. But I do think that, yeah, I do think that this was a great litmus test. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I do think, though, that this was a great litmus test, uh, or is a great litmus test, to show to people or ask people their opinion of Brokeback Mountain. Because you can probably tell a lot about a person, particularly, uh, you know, maybe some of the straight people that, that, you know, if they've seen it or then tell them to see it and get their opinion of it and see, well, what, where's their empathy level at in regards to, you know, the homosexual experience. And, Mm. but once again, this is one of those things where Ang Lee told such an amazing story that's based in this idea of forbidden love, which is an archetype, uh, whether it's Romeo and Juliet or something like that, this idea of forbidden Mm -hmm. love, they, Ang Lee showed, uh, it in a way that is so hard not to sympathize with these characters. I mean, 
I mean, look at you. You're a mess from watching it. And I, I watched it yesterday, and I'm so glad I did because I can be like this oh. right now, oh. whereas you're, you're like, ah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh. Oh, my God, Robert. Honestly, I pushed back the taping of this by 15 minutes so that I need – like, if you saw me 15 minutes oh, ago, man. this was – like, no, it was even worse. I was like, I can't. Uh, it, it was just funny because, you know, the the, um, the 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 last topic in the movie review is we always um, ask the question, does this hold up? Clearly, I feel like <laughs> the listeners by now yes. know what my opinion is of that. Not only does it hold up, but like after living through another 15 years of being gay, it hits me in like a completely mm-hmm. different way that it did not hit me um, when I was like, you know, I think it only been out for like maybe a couple years, two, three years when this came out. I just, I just, it just didn't really hit me other than like, well, this is cool. They're showing like <laughs> hot naked people um, in a gay movie and it's winning stuff. Um but it really, I just, you know, I trigger warning for anybody who thinks they saw it in their youth and thinks yeah. like they're going to be able to like oh bring some tissues, make sure there's nothing going on. Like this movie hits different I in agree, your 40s 100%. than in your early 20s. Yeah. I will tell you that much. Um, and uh, how, how uh, think I think it holds up incredibly well. I, I too am looking at it through a different lens. And I do think that when we watched it, when it came out, we were at an age perhaps where we weren't thinking about what does it look like when you've lived this much life, right? So it doesn't hit the same way. And now we're at a point where we're like, oh, we've lived some more life. And it's like, wow, imagine if we lived our entire lives like these men, you know, where we're at now. And I think that hits for me in a way. It's like, I go, thank God that, or, you know, thank the universe or whoever you worship um, for the fact that I was able to find a way to live my true self and, and for, for you as well to live your true self where, where we don't have to live these lives that are complete, you know, that are lies and, and just so unhappy. My goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks to our listeners. That's the end of our review, but we are going to take a very short break and come back and discuss our topic of the week, which is plucked straight from the movie's themes. And this week's topic of the week is internalized homophobia and also how that relates to whether we've been in any forbidden relationships um, that we were maybe ashamed of or, you know, didn't uh, didn't fully embrace. So we will be right back to tackle that topic. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome back to the You Better Represent podcast. We are now in our second segment where we tackle a um, topic of the week that is plucked from the movie's themes. This week's movie was Brokeback Mountain, and our topic of the week is internalized homophobia. So I will first throw this um, to my co-host, Robert Watson. And Robert, did you ever struggle with internalized homophobia? Absolutely. I grew up in a pretty religious household. So while my... I didn't experience, uh, like I said earlier, internal homophobia exists because external homophobia exists. So when there are people around you who are incredibly homophobic, 
it is very possible that you're going to feel homophobic and hate towards yourself, you know, or whatever it is that your coping mechanisms are when you are someone who is attracted to the same sex and you are in a family situation or a social uh, situation or society situation where you can't live that true self. So yes, I definitely had some internalized homophobia being the religious uh, person that I was growing up. And I did have uh, extended relatives that had said uh, around me that, you know, you know, one of the worst things that a person can be is gay. So it's like, wow, these are my family members saying that oh. if you're that, that's really bad. So when you hear that kind of stuff growing up, you end up having some internalized homophobia. And what's interesting is my, it's my internalized homophobia that created what I considered forbidden attractions because I was attracted to boys, of course, and that just fueled my shame for myself because it wasn't what I was being taught, what I was supposed to be or supposed to do. But, you know, the girl I had a crush on ended up dating another boy, and then I realized I had a crush on that boy as well. So it's like, so it's like, who was I jealous of in this situation, you know? Oh. But, uh, so, but I mean, all of it came from, from <laughs> not being able to live who I was in any way, even to myself. It took a long time, it took a long time to get over that. Uh, and I feel very lucky that I did. But did you have any forbidden, uh, do you have any forbidden tales for us? Yeah, it, it's it it's funny because I've so I I'll try to keep it as short as possible. I've got like three. Ooh, wow, you got around. Good in love. <laughs> um, um, throughout like throughout like yeah. So um, so my first boyfriend, he like I was I was ready to come out mm. like probably in early high school, but we were together and. He was afraid if I came out, everybody knew would know he would be gay, um, which, honestly, he was, like, the nelliest thing you've ever seen. He didn't, <laughs> people were saying he's gay since grade 7. So, Poor anyway, guy. whatever. <laughs> I decided to, quote-unquote, keep his secret. So, I guess... <laughs> so, I, I guess in that case, I was, like, the... Um, I was the uh, Jack, um, and he was the Ennis, Um and then, um, and then I was in another relationship, um, maybe like five years later, you know, at this point I had already come out and it was kind of weird because I don't know what it was about him, but it was like the only relationship that I did kind of keep hidden. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really even sure why I think mm. because I was, I had always planned, this was like near the end of my time in Calgary yeah. and I knew I was going to move and I like, we were, we were in a relationship, but I didn't want him to like get super attached. Cause I had told him even before we started dating that I was going to move and I was focusing on my career. Mm -hmm. So like a relationship would never come first at this, like literally I'm like in my mid twenties, like if you're looking for a big commitment for somebody under 25, like, I don't know what to tell you, but I was, I was, you know, I, I was very upfront about it. Um, but looking back, I do feel bad because in that case, like I was the, like, I was the Ennis character where like he was more the Jack. He wanted to be like open about it. And I was just like, I don't know. I kind of feel bad now. Like he was so in love and even oh, wow. like tried to propose Ooh. to me um, <gasps> on on 
like on stage oh my during, God. like in front of like 5,000 people at the out games where I was like, yeah, I was, I was opening for, um, for Lily Tomlinson. It was like no. the biggest break in my whole career. And he was going to come up on stage and then it would have had to break his heart. It was a disaster. Luckily oh, the stage goodness. manager caught him in time and was like, no, okay. you're not going to ruin Vong's big moment. Um, and he like he said he basically had to tackle him off. He was like he was going to rush the stage, and the stage manager knows me well enough to, <laughs> oh to know that I was going to say no. Um, so he was like, "No, you're not going to get up there and have Vaughn like turn you down." So anyway, so there's that that whole situation. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe I just wasn't ready for a relationship. I feel so bad though. Like thinking oh. back, I really I probably traumatized him. Like to to be in a relationship with somebody and like. Not really, like, because he was telling people we were together, and then I just wouldn't acknowledge it. It was pretty shady. It was pretty shady, um, especially because I had just gone through that. Um, my own, my only excuse yeah. is I was like, I wasn't ready for commitment. I thought it was more casual. Forgive yourself, you know? Vong. Forgive I, yourself, anyway, please. It was, it was a, it was I'm sure this mess. this um, lad, wherever he is, has forgiven you by now. Plus, uh, it sounds like yeah, here's the thing. I acted crazy to some of the boys I liked when I first was coming out. I uh, like so I identify with this guy a bit. Where it's like I would I would like the crush I had to be like talking to the party all night and then just but right as I leave I'd be like whispering in his ear I've got a crush on you it's like ooh that's creepy you got like that's problems that you gotta sort out yourself sounds like he had his own thing and I'm sure you like don't take it on that's what I'm saying that's what I'm saying but yes it sounds forbidden <laughs> okay so so now the th- now the third situation there's there's no redeeming me on this situation. This is really ah! and it involves my current boyfriend, and we had been together for like four years, and obviously I've been very open, like everybody knows. Yeah, like, you can see, like I I tag him on my Facebook post, like it's it's not a secret. I'm in a relationship. Um, I'm definitely not hiding him. Um, and but the thing is, I. We, so, okay, so this doesn't sound bad. So he, I'm from Winnipeg. My whole family's from Winnipeg. You know, um, my family members who I talk to openly yeah. about, like, my, like, personal life stuff, like, my sister, my cousins and stuff. Like, they all know who he is. They visited. We've, like, I didn't feel like I was keeping him a secret until we had to go back to Winnipeg for my sister's, um, mm. her, uh, it, her engagement party. And then um, Mike, Mike just asked me, so my boyfriend's name is Mike. He just asked me, he's like, um, he's like, he's, he was like, do your parents know that I exist? And I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm sure they do. Like, they're, they're on my Facebook. Like, I'm sure they see. I'm sure they see the photos. And he's like, but have you told them? And I was like, yeah. Well, I haven't told him, but, like, I've told my sister, and she talks to him all the time. And, you know, like I said, I tag you on social media, like, and they're they're all up in my Facebook. Um, and he was like, uh, that's, he's like, I'm not going to go meet, like, the family who doesn't know I exist. So then, um, yeah. so he tells me this, this is, like, six months before we and go. That's a lot of time. Like, that's a good a timeline, maybe, to request. make things better. Very reasonable. <laughs> and... And 
And then I don't I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> six months came, came and went, and I hadn't done it. And so we're about to get on the plane, and he's like, and he's like, he's like, so you Oops. told your parents, and I was like. <gasps> I don't think I have. I was like, I oh promise you, you're not a secret. I was like, I swear to God, Mike, like, this is a real relationship. People know you exist. I don't know if it's been <laughs> communicated, like, like, you know, to the nth degree where there's no shadow of a doubt. But as I promise, I promise I'm not hiding. He's like, but he's like, you've had six months. Like, why wouldn't like this? He's like, it's hard to not feel like. You're ashamed of me. If, like, how am I supposed to take this? And I was honestly... So I'm mm. starting to think, I was like, do I still have some internalized homophobia? I don't know. It's. I felt like I had gotten rid of that because if you Google <laughs> my yeah. name, the first thing that comes up is super power bottoms. I was like, I don't know how much more gay <laughs> you can get when, like, your name is associated with the word power bottom. Like, it's... It's out there. It's Google's first association. So, like, clearly I've been open about my sexuality. Um, I think, I don't know, I think, like, on stage and stuff, because a lot of, like, mm. my relationship stuff was written before I was in a relationship, like, you don't it's always... For, it's for the joke. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm saying I'm single, but that was really, like, whatever, a long time ago. I'm in a relationship now, but I'm going to do jokes from, like, when I was single. Um, so I was like, oh, it's, like... So I haven't told my parents. Oh, he's seen yeah. me doing these jokes about being single. I was like, is this like, <laughs> I was like, this is going to give this poor guy a complex. Um, but anyway, I had like an emergency oh phone call with my sister. I was like, you need to tell them because I'm trying to reach them. And she's like, she's like, I think they know like they're on their, your Facebook. And I was like, that's what I said. She's like, yeah, but you should, you should probably say something. Um, um, but, uh, you know what? I think honestly, Robert too, I, I said, I wouldn't take up too much time. I'm like not even letting, I'm not even taking enough of a breath for you to like say a word, but it's like, I, um, I think too, like, okay. And this could just be me. It might be internalized homophobia or it might just be me like trying to explain it away in my brain. Cause I don't feel like I'm like internalizing homophobia or that I'm ashamed or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I do think it's a bit of a communication thing. Like it's not, I hear you. Like with Asians, sometimes you don't always verbalize things. Like it's just sort of like, it's like, so if I was in Winnipeg, like, so with, with my first boyfriend, you know, even though we weren't out, like, and I never told my parents we were going out, like he would just come by, he'd drop off roses. They would ask about his family. Like, it, like I never said, okay, we're a couple, but it was like, they'd be like, oh, how's... Yeah you know, so-and-so, oh, so-and-so dropped off some roses. Isn't that romantic? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if we, we never had, like, the conversation. I was like, there's, there's usually no, like, hey, mom, <laughs> dad, I'm with somebody and I'm bringing him home for whatever. So I was like, is it that? Is it that I'm ashamed? Well, it, I'm so confused, Robert. Did you, but it got, but, so this. you went, <laughs> though, and did know. you get it all figured know. out? Yeah. We went, um, my sister Perfect. said, you know, she believes that they already know. And then when he met them, they didn't say anything about ah. it. But like, 
they oh, came wow. and they gave him a hug afterward, which like Asians don't hug, right? So is their way of acknowledging that he's part of the family, even though they never heard of him before. <laughs> um, so it was sort of like it was just like this whole nonverbal thing, and he was like. Does that mean, or do they hug everyone? I was like, no, they do not oh, hug everybody. Trust me. I was like, I didn't get a hug my entire childhood. So I was like, they were. I was like, they were sending a message. Yeah. They were sending a message saying they know who you are. They know you're part of the family. Yeah. And come on over when you want. Or but like, it, I was like, that was. It also sounds like it's. it's <laughs> it also sounds that they it's were like, well, we know white people like to hug, so hard. we'll because <laughs> we. <laughs> Because we, I don't know, yes, it's a Canadian thing. Canadians <laughs> love hugging, and well, not as much as Americans do. That uh, too, that but too. Anyways, uh, but so it worked out, and now, and how's the relationship? People are going to want to know, so how's the relationship now? Yeah. Like, with the parents and everything? <laughs> yes, I know well, that, we know that. We're still, we're, <laughs> we're still together, um, so my, obviously, obviously I'm still the other the boyfriend. My parents, they're cool. Um, you know, like they're, um, yeah, uh, yeah. We we've never really talked about it still, but I feel like, I, honestly, I feel like even now I haven't talked to them about it. But I'm I'm assuming I don't think so. I think they know. I feel like the hug, or am I reading too much into the hug? I feel like I feel like the hug. Yeah, means I think that's I think that's fine. If it's if if that's like this is what I'm right. gonna get. I mean, we watched the other Ang Lee film, The Banquet, where we were watching Asian parents dealing with their gay son and and being, you know, quite stoic about it. So I would say, you know, this fits the the mold that I've heard about. And uh, you know, if you're if you're feeling comfortable with it, and Michael, of course, is like, okay, I feel good about everything. Then that's that's what matters. That, that's what matters. And plus, you know, you don't uh, get with someone because of their their parents. You do it because you love the person. So I think. Uh, I, but it's always nice when you have that bit of approval, and it sounds like that hug was a big old stamp of approval from, if I'm basing it on what I saw from The Banquet, Ang Lee's other film about uh, a gay couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I feel like it was all solved. I'm not sure everybody in the situation agrees. I feel like some people... Yeah, I'm not going to wait into that. I have a verbal conversation <laughs> just to confirm it, but um, I feel like it was confirmation. <laughs> so, okay, so I should explain a little bit for, like, the non-Asians. The reason why Asians don't hug or say I love you as much culturally is because it's, it's sort of like um, mm. if you have to verbalize something, it's considered that it cheapens it. Um, so it's like, um, so, you know, like, you know, like the, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the Western saying, like, don't assume it'll make an ass oh. out of you and me. That's like the complete opposite of Asian culture. It's like, if I have to spell it out, then mm. like, then you're not even my friend. Like, you should know things about me. You should make assumptions because we know each other. You yeah. should be able to read me. And if you can't, then I might as well be with a stranger. Like, why? Like, you should be able to read my signals. Um, if I have to verbalize it, it cheapens it. So it's like, it's almost like if, you know how, like, if something is so obvious <laughs> that when you say it, it sounds stupid? That's sort of like how, like, the I love you comes out sometimes where it's like, 
It's like my parents' mm-hmm. love should be so obvious and their support is so obvious that for them to say it cheapens it. So it'd be like, okay, here's a really dumb example, but like, Robert, what if oh, I, God, like, I come up. over to your house and I use the washroom and then afterward I'm like, oh, Robert, thank you so much for letting me use your washroom. It is like... Oh, uh, I, I can't believe, like, you were so nice to let me use your washroom. Like, this is so amazing of you. Like, it would just be like, okay, dude, like, obviously I was going to let you use my washroom. Like, that's just obvious because I'm not a horrible person. So it's sort of like when you verbalize something that is obvious, it, like, cheapens it. I know that's, like, a really bad example, but that's sort of, like, that. that's sort of, like, how, how the culture is. It's, like, if it's so, like, yeah, I shouldn't I have you. to say it. You should feel my love. You know what I mean? To the point where if I said it, it'd be like, why it are you sounds saying? like it sounds like, like so it's, it it's, makes it's, for it's, some it's wonderful guessing games for what people are thinking, because really, in the end, it's like maybe we should tell people what we're feeling about a certain person <laughs> when there's other dynamics in play where someone is counting on you to maybe say, uh, I need you to say that you accept this person because that's how they roll or whatever, you know. But it, like it makes for, you know, it's cultural guessing games and trying to just figure it out and, and make it all work as well as you can for everyone involved. Sounds like you might have a little bit more work to do. <laughs> I feel like I do. Oh my gosh. I feel like I do. Okay, no, I've made this segment way too much about me. Let's go back to you. Have how was your Let's talk about your trauma, Rob. Let's talk about your trauma. Any hidden love Well, for for sure. For so long I didn't allow myself <laughs> to be attracted to to men in any way that would um, you know, really tip the bar over to like not only is he gay we know he likes a boy right now because like that would have been you know that would have been the doomsday scenario for me because i couldn't hide how effeminate i was uh in school so everyone it was the kind of thing where everyone sort of was like we know what's going even the parents are probably like, oh we know what he's going to be later in life you know so so it was always fighting against this and like trying to maintain some form of acceptance, uh, in this society of, you know, uh, rural and religious backgrounded people that aren't going to accept me if I actually say the truth, if we all lie about it and all like, you know, he's going to get made fun of behind his back, maybe to his face. Uh, but He's never actually admitted it, and we can accept that. The moment I accepted and, you know, said who I was, and that would have been a game changer, and there would have been, there would have been problems. But, so I just had to get out of that situation before I could come out. Because when I did really realize, it's like, yeah, I am attracted to guys uh, as well. Luckily, it came at the same time as my religious awakening in regards to realizing that maybe this root of this religion wasn't meant for me in order to live my authentic self. So all these decisions coincided. And uh, I also moved away. I just, like, moved across the country. I grew up in Victoria, B.C., and I was like, I'm out of here. And I moved to Toronto and was like, I'm going to now project out the person I think I want to be and then spent years figuring out who that was. But uh, definitely, you know, so many people deal with internalized homophobia in different ways and it's all about Mm. the support that they can have around them. And when you do get that chosen family, those people that you want around you who are going to accept you no matter what, it does make it easier. But for so many people, they don't find that. And 
that's what makes maybe dealing with this internalized homophobia, even when you are out, all these different manifestations of what it could be, whether it's, you know, fat shaming, whether it's, uh, you know, being racist in who your preferences are for. Uh, all of these things, I do think, have somewhat of a root in that internalized shame and homophobia. So I feel very lucky that I think I'm doing okay. You know, there's always work to be done. But uh, it definitely, I remember what it was like to to feel that kind of shame. And now looking back, being like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You're fabulous, you know? And that's what I would say to anyone who's feeling any internalized homophobia. Just be like, realize how fabulous you are. And uh, give that, you know, give yourself a hug is sort of what I mean. Maybe not literally, because that's sort of, well, I mean, if you have to. <laughs> but, you know, look after yourself. <laughs> yeah, honestly, self-hugs have, yeah, self-hugs have become really big during um, uh-huh. the pandemic. Nice. I have, uh, I've totally. sat through a few meditation sessions where they uh, teach you how to hug yourself because this is the world we're living in now, Robert. Um, so, um, yeah, definitely for for anybody still going through. I that, disagree. Um, I would say do not watch. I disagree. This I think this movie says to me, it's like, look, love um, yourself, or this is learn, what you know. This yourself. is what your life could look like for younger people, you know, especially to watch it. So, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that, but yes. Like, take care. Prepare yourself is what I think you mean. Like, prepare yourself. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that I can agree to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, thank you for that lively debate about internalized homophobia and for uh, for co-hosting this week's review of Brokeback Mountain. I want to give a special thank you to our listeners. Mm. You know, we've been on air for a bit over a year now. I think we're almost at 60 episodes. And we've gone through a lot of changes. You know, we went from Rice to You Better Represent. Um, Mm -hmm. We went from, you know, general hot topics to trending topics to cultural topics to movies to now overall representation. And so, you know... um, All I got to say is, you know, we are really trying to figure out what our voice was and where we wanted to go with this podcast. And thanks for sticking, um, sticking with us through it all. Our download numbers have actually been pretty, pretty steady Uh since we switched over from an all Asian podcast to more of a podcast about representation. So we do really appreciate that you have stuck with us. Um, yeah, because I, I do feel like a lot of the listeners right now are still from our probably um, <laughs> straight Asian listeners, but they're still coming along for, for Pride Month. So, uh, yeah. so thank you. Um, thank, thank you for, uh, thank you. Yeah, for, and you're the straight ones too. Like you'll us. learn something. And, you know, definitely tell your gay <laughs> friends um, to come listen to us as well um, so that we, uh, we build our audience that way. <laughs> um yeah definitely uh so that that wraps it up for this week's episode we'll be back next week with um with yeah you know usually i'm more prepared and i know what movie to tell you to watch so you can uh, we'll watch this next week but like, i i'm so shook from uh Brokeback mountain i didn't even figure out what next week's movie is so but we will have a movie next week it is let's try for something month, uplifting so it will be a, another <laughs> queer movie or a queer movie. we'll try we'll give you something um, a break and come back <laughs> and listen to it with us oh yes girl i need something uplifting after this Um, okay um i'm your host vong show um and that's what's up
This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.